I'm so glad you guys are here today. I'm so glad that our Northville family is also joining us online this morning. And uh, I'm looking forward to just sharing what God has put on my heart for today. Um, you guys might be in for a wild ride this morning. We've had, we've had a crazy week. You, gotta, you can ask the staff. I've already said a lot of crazy stuff in staff meeting this morning where they went, huh, really, all right. Pierre actually said, today should be fun. So um, I apologize now for whatever happens going forward. Uh, but no, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Um, we're in our series called Lies. And there are some lies that we choose to believe that we've told ourselves. There's lies that Satan has tried to plant. And I just feel like God put on my heart that we need to call out some of those lies. And there's some lies that we've chosen to live with that we've chosen to be okay with, that we've chosen just to cope with and said like, all right, well, we'll just figure life out even though this is a lie. And how many know that when we bring things to the light that we're all in a better place for it? When we can say, whoa, 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 that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is nothing we should be living by, believing, basing our lives upon. So this morning... The title of my sermon is this, I've messed up. I've messed up. Now that part's not a lie. I've messed up. We've all messed up. But the lie is, is that when I messed up, it was so bad that God can't use me. It was so bad that God can't love me. It is so bad that we can never be as close as we once were because I have messed up. Now I know I'm speaking to a lot of... Um, seasoned veterans, we'll call you, um, in this place that have heard a lot of sermons. This is what I'm going to ask. When I begin to, to, to bring up a name or a or sermon topic or a title or whatever, please don't go somewhere in your mind where you're like, oh, I already know what this is about. I already know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if I bring up a certain Bible story or character or whatever, bear with me. Because there's one thing that I learned in kids' ministry, doing kids' ministry for 15 years, that there's some stories that we'll read when we're young, and then as we get older, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. And then when you start to dive into it, you're like, wait, what? How come I never knew that that was there? How come I never caught that before? So as we're going through these things, please do me a favor and don't go, all right, I know where he's going. You may. That's all right. Just humor me and pay attention anyway. Can you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as you guys are still getting to know us, um, I enjoy just sharing little bits and pieces of my life and, and, and our lives uh, so that you guys can come up and laugh at me later or, or make a connection later and go, hey, me too, me too, me too. So I am one of those guys, since I have been this tall, that just hates to be wrong. How many of you guys in this room, you're like, yeah, I hate to be wrong. And not like, you know, I really don't like it. No, 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 no. I hate being wrong. I hate it. I work so hard in my life to not be wrong. But there are times that I'm wrong. When I was a kid, I would argue and argue and argue. I got smacked a lot, all right? Not beat, smacked. I deserved everyone and so much more. I argued and argued and argued. My dad would say, Ben, just say okay. 
Just say okay. I hated to be wrong. Before I enter a conversation or an argument or a debate or whatever, I've already gone through it in my head four or five times at least. I already know what you're going to say, usually. Like, all right, they're going to say this, I'm going to say that, and I'm already prepared and planned. I hate being wrong. I've worked my whole life to not be wrong. Lots of time, energy, and effort. Why? Why do I hate to be wrong? Well, for one, I like to think it's just because I want to do the right thing. I just want to do the right thing. It's the way that I'm built. My parents, uh, when I was growing up, said your middle name shouldn't be Joseph. We, we should have called you Ben the Just because everything needs to be right. There needs to be justice. But I also hate having to apologize. Anybody hate having to apologize? Stop nudging your significant other. I hate having to apologize. And I hate that for two reasons. One is because I'm, I have to admit that I was wrong. But also it's because usually I've hurt someone. If I have to apologize, I've probably hurt your feelings. I've, I've obviously done something wrong. It's embarrassing. Like, I am so sorry. I have apologized to my wife a billion, billion times. Rightfully so. And I'll say, I am so sorry. I should not. I was a jerk. That is my fault. I shouldn't do that. It's embarrassing. And it's humbling. For the longest time growing up, I just couldn't utter the world's, I'm sorry. I think part of it too, this isn't in my notes. Probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to anyway. Um, growing up, you know, your parents are like, just say you're sorry. Sorry. And then they just go, it means nothing, right? As a kid, say you're sorry. They're not sorry. They're going to bite their sibling again in two minutes. They're not sorry. I tell my kids all the time, Mick and Callie specifically, they're like, sorry. I was like, do you know what sorry means? Sorry means I wish I wouldn't have done it, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. That's what sorry really means. So anyway, off, off my rant. Okay, back to the notes. Here's the thing, though. There's something freeing about realizing that we're all human, and we're all wrong, right? You guys are already thinking of Scripture. But I'm just, let's just get back to, we're human. We mess up. We are all wrong at different parts of our lives. Some people think, that because they have messed up in such a major way that God can't use them. Some people think that because they have sinned some great sin that God does not love them anymore. That they are beyond the reach of God's love and grace. Today we are going to address those lies that God can't forgive me, God can't use me, God doesn't love me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Starting in verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Someone say amen. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you these moments. We give you our attention, our time. 
God, I just pray that you speak to each and every heart that's in this place, each and every person that is watching online today, for those that are going to watch this in the future, speak to our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way in this place. Where I fall short, Holy Spirit, I want you to just come in and do what you want to do. I pray that it's not my words this morning that are spoken. Holy Spirit, may they be yours. Speak to each and every one of us. I believe that we can all leave here closer to you today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Today I want to look at three different men in the Bible who had made poor choices. And then I want to focus on what God's response was to their failure. The, per the first person I want to look at today is Jonah. So can you do me a favor? Turn in your Bibles today to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Now, like I said before, many of us in this room, you're like, I've heard this story. I know where you're going. I don't even have to turn there. But I want to dig a little deeper than probably what you got into when you were in Sunday school. I want to look at what actually happened. Sometimes we take for granted. We've heard it so many times. But I want to look at some of these details. I want to read the first three verses in Jonah chapter 1. And then we're going to dive in a little bit here. Jonah 1, verse 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I have to admit, the one thing that I hate reading in the Bible is the word Tarshish. It's kind of like Worcestershire sauce. I feel like I say it wrong every single time. All right, that fell flat. Um, you guys got to wake up this morning, all right? Mercy laugh me if you have to. God calls Jonah, who's a prophet, to this great city of Nineveh, but he decides to go the opposite direction to Tarshish instead. When we first read this story, we don't cut Jonah any slack just when we look at this face value on the surface. We don't cut him any slack at all. But again, I want to look a little deeper into this. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian army. Not only that, they are the sworn enemies of the Israelites. The Old Testament is full of these stories of battles and wars with these people. So Jonah just isn't being called to this bad city. He's being called to preach to his enemy. Not only that, but this place was bad. At this time, this was the sin city of their day. The worst of the worst. The Ninevites, they were bad dudes, all right? They would go and take over a city cut all the heads off the people, and stack them up outside of the city walls and gates. So when you walk by, you went, all right, don't mess with them. Keep on walking. Look straight ahead. Not only that, they would take different body parts from the different people that they had conquered as trophies. When you think of the worst of the worst, you might think of like Sodom and Gomorrah and things like that. Nineveh was right in line with these bad places. I would say it's a lot like Columbus, Ohio, maybe. <laughs> sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. I just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to give Chris a microphone and he's going to have so much come back at me. Fair's fair. We'll let that happen. 
But not only this city is so bad with what they decide to do that it, it's, it's not only just bad, but it's a big city. We read later on that it would, it would take Jonah three days to walk through this entire city. So that means this great city, if Jonah's going to go and do this, there's going to be a lot of people within these walls who are not going to like what he has to say and are going to want to kill him. I would be afraid. Growing up when I heard this story, I'm like, oh yeah, I wouldn't want to go there either. I'm going the opposite direction. But later on in Jonah we read, it wasn't a fear thing. It was more focused on he knew how great God's mercy and grace were. And he didn't want his enemies to experience that. So that's why he ran the opposite way. But now knowing what we know about Nineveh, I tend to cut him a little bit more slack, going, all right, I guess I personally wouldn't want to go there either. It sounds like a death wish. But did you guys know this wasn't the only time in the Bible that God used Jonah to prophesy? We read in 2 Kings 14 that he prophesied to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. He was willing to do it. He was willing to be a prophet, to say some things that people might not want to hear. He wasn't willing to speak to those people. Have you ever had a circumstance in your life where you're like, man, it would be so much easier if God was calling me to witness to someone else? You smile, but you know it's true. You're like, oh, no. God, don't, don't put them on my heart. No, not them. Can't you send someone else to talk to them? I'll talk to anybody else. Maybe it's a, a coworker. Maybe it's a close family member. There's been times where I'm like, oh, man, God, they would accept it from someone else better than me. I know they would. But God said, no, 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 I want you to speak to that person. Back to our story. So Jonah gets on this boat, and he's going the opposite direction to Tarshish. The story goes on. God sends a storm. The people figure out that they're in this crazy storm because of Jonah. Jonah says, listen, guys, you're going to have to throw me overboard. If you want to live, you've got to throw me overboard. They eventually did. And the sea calmed down. God provides this huge fish to come up and swallow Jonah. He spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. Can you do me a favor at some point? Can you read chapter 2 on your own time? It's a prayer that Jonah prays from the belly of this fish. After the three days and the three nights, this fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. And Jonah says, all right, I know what I got to do. He goes to Nineveh, and he does what God has called him to do. And what is incredible is the Bible says the Ninevites believed. They received his message. They believed, it says, from the greatest to the least. Jonah did the exact opposite of what God told him to do as a prophet, he is a prophet of God. I want you to go there. I'm not going there. I'm going here. It's easy to judge Jonah, but we've done it. We've done it. There's been times in my life where God's saying, I want you to do this. And I'll say, huh, maybe tomorrow I'm going this way instead. We've done that. But yet God 
in his grace and his mercy and his goodness shows us, I like to use broken people and broken vessels. He had to spend those three days and three nights in the belly of the fish to get his mind right, to get on the same page as God. But God, because he's so good, says, I know you messed up, but I'm going to use you anyway. And I'm going to blow your mind. And what you're about to do is going to be written in a book where people thousands of years later are going to be reading about how good I am and how I love you and I love them. And even though we mess up, even though we do the exact opposite, defiance, he is still a good God. And he still uses us. So if you're in this place today and you have something that is in your heart where you say, I have done something so bad There is no way, there is no way that I can truly experience God's love and grace. That's not true. That is not true. Jonah went the opposite direction, and God still used him. Number two, I want to talk today about Samson. Can you do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. We're going to talk about Samson this morning. Judges 13.1 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. We read that a lot in the Bible, right? The Israelites did evil, they messed up, and God has to teach them a lesson. So this time, instead of being in the belly of a fish, now they are handed over to the Philistines. The Israelites are handed over to the Philistines for 40 years. We're going to read verses 3 through 5 in Judges 13 as well. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her, this is Samson's mom, and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. How cool is that? He was called, set apart from the womb. He was called by God to follow these strict set of rules that are Nazarite rules. I want to read those this morning. Just There's three of them that I want to read real quick from Numbers chapter 6. To be a Nazarite, it says this, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. During the entire period of the Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near any dead body. So no alcohol, don't cut your hair, stay away from dead bodies. It even goes on to say, even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. So, back to Samson. Samson is called to be a Nazarite, and ultimately he is called to be a judge. So before Israel was ruled by kings, there were judges. So Samson is going to be in charge of the Israelites, ruling as a judge, But what Samson begins to do is he begins to toy with things. 
he begins to kind of dip his toe in the water in a place that he should not be. Mess with things that he has no business messing with. In Judges chapter 14, verse 5, we read about Samson killing a lion. That's cool. You're like, wow, man. He must be big and buff like Pastor Ben. I mean, killing a lion, that's incredible. But we see this is the first step where he, he begins to toy with things because later on, as he passes by this lion, there's these bees. They've built a nest, and he reaches in, and he gets some honey. So he's already breaking a rule, right? Not supposed to be around any dead things. So he's beginning to toy with things. Jonah just was like, uh-uh, I'm going the opposite direction. Samson's like, uh, is this so bad? He knew. He knew. He was raised with these three rules. He knew that he should not be messing with anything dead. In Judges 16, we actually read about Samson visiting a Philistine prostitute. Again, messing with things that he should not mess with. Then there's this Philistine woman named Delilah. She comes onto the scene and she is paid to seduce and betray Samson. Samson is supposed to be running Israel as a judge and he gets caught up in the wrong crowd. He falls in love with this woman, this beautiful woman, Delilah. She steals his heart. But again, Delilah is paid to figure out the source of Samson's strength. We read about how strong Samson is, how many Philistines he kills. It's a very interesting read. I really encourage you, go back and read those few chapters about Samson. It's incredible. It's so cool. But again, he is messing with something that he should not be messing with. He is toying with something he should not be toying with. So finally we read in Judges 16, verse 17, he breaks down and tells Delilah the truth about his strength. It says in verse 17, Judges 16, verse 17, So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. So what does Delilah do? She shaves his head. These Philistines come in and they seize Samson. They gouge out his eyes. They put him in prison. They shackle him to this machine where he is just grinding up grain. This once mighty warrior, judge, did all this amazing, cool stuff for Israel, is now in a jail being laughed at. The once great, powerful Samson finds himself in this place because he was messing with things that he should never have messed with. Jonah, again, was given this command. Nope, going the opposite direction. Samson was given this command. He's going, oh, this is so bad. Oh, this is so bad. We do that, don't we? We do that. We toy with things that we should not toy with. We watch shows that we should not watch. We hang out with people we should not hang out with. We partake in, in just different activities that we're like, is it really that bad? These things that weren't that bad led to Samson's demise. 
So one day the Philistines decide, let's, let's have a big party and just celebrate that we took Samson down. We took him out. And at some point they bring him out to laugh at him. The once great mighty Samson. Samson asks a servant, can you please put me between these two pillars? So the servant does that. And I love Samson's prayer. One more time. God, one more time. I'm sure he thought in that moment, I have messed up. I should have been doing this better. There's so many ways, so many things I should have done different. But God, one more time. Use me one more time. Seeing his time in jail, his hair started to grow back. So as he's standing between these two large pillars and he cries out to God, God says, all right, one more time. And Samson pushes and he takes out this whole building. And the Bible actually says he killed more in his death than when he lived. There's some of us in this room that you've been toying with things from your past life. We read earlier about how we're a new creation. That doesn't mean we're exempt from the temptations that this world has to offer, that Satan has to offer. Let this be a warning to us. It's a slippery slope. Starts out with a little bit of honey. Visiting a prostitute, then Delilah, that just out of control. Leads to his death, but God even used him there. Church, when we're reading this story, this should be, again, a warning sign to us. Am I messing with things? Why? For what? What's the point? To what end? I am encouraged that God used Samson. Even after he had messed up royally, God still used Samson. And he took out more Philistines in his death than when he was alive. This is my third and final point today, the prodigal son. We're going to read this story in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 11 through 24. I know it's a little lengthy, but bear with me. It goes like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive me. Oh, Father, forgive me. Whoa. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was, a, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Would the band come up and join me, please? I love this story. And it is hard for me not to get emotional when I read this story. Because this is my story. This is your story. Now maybe you didn't ask for your inheritance. I don't know. Maybe you didn't squander wealth. I, I don't know. But I do know that I have gone my own way. I do know that I have made my own decisions, my own mistakes, thinking, God, I got this. I know what, I know what to do. I tried to do things under my own power, thinking I know more, and I messed up. I messed up. That's my story. That's our story. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story, I love to read this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I just, when I read this story, it's hard for me. I am so grateful for the way that God communicates to us in his word. And I can take myself and put myself in a situation. And if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, I want to go and do my own thing, my own way. Man, I would fight them tooth and nail. <laughs> but then to see... To see this son or daughter come walking back and to run from a long ways off. Man, you have no idea culturally what that is saying. It's incredible. You know what most of us would do? I knew you'd come back. I knew you'd come crawling back. I knew you'd see things my way. Told you. I told you. Right? As human that's how initially we would want to respond. But that's not God. While we were still a long ways off, he had compassion on us. While you were a sinner, he knew what you were going to do, and yet he sent his only son to die for me and for you. Knowing that you would make decisions, knowing that you would squander your wealth, Knowing that you would go the opposite direction. Knowing that you would mess with stuff that you shouldn't mess with. Knowing on that, while you were a long ways off, he saw you. 
And he had compassion on you and on me. And he didn't wait like this. He ran. He ran. He took all rules, all these cultural norms, whatever was allowed, not allowed, and he threw them out the window and said, that's my son and that's my daughter and nothing is going to stop me from getting to them right now. Thank you, God. Someone needs to hear this this morning. That no matter how far you seem, you might think, I'm a long way off right now. He sees you. He has compassion on you. He is running to you this morning. He is running to you. Not to say I told you so. Not to browbeat you. But to throw a party for you. And say, my son, my daughter has come home. Let's party. Can we thank God for how amazing he is right now? Come on, church. Give it up for God. Come on. There were so many different directions I could have went. I mean, the Bible is full of people who've messed up. Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Saul, Paul. Just to name a few. But God. I've messed up. But God. We've messed up. But God. I'm thankful for His grace. I'm thankful for His mercy. I'm thankful that He runs to us. We can accept this gift, this free gift of forgiveness. We're going to take communion here in a second. I'm actually going to call the servers forward and I'm kind of going back what some may call old school. I just like it. We're going to pass these plates around and as soon as you guys reach your spot, you can begin to pass it out. If you don't feel comfortable touching these, we do have the pre-packaged stuff back at these black tables. Please feel free. You can do whatever you're comfortable with. As the elements are being passed out, now is a good time just to take a moment and think about your story. Do you know what I don't want to be? I don't want to be a pastor that preaches a sermon that doesn't change who I am on Monday. That's what I don't want to be. So everything that we just talked about and everything that we just discussed, as the elements are going around, I want you to say, God, am I any of those? Am I, have I ran the opposite direction? Am I toying with some things? Am I a long ways off? Maybe none of those are you. You could just spend the next few minutes thanking God. 
thanking God for what he sacrificed for me and for you so that we can have a relationship with him. Communion is an incredible time just to stop and say, Lord, where are we at? Where's our relationship at? God, am I good with you? Have I walked away? Have I done some things? Are we good? What are the things in between us that need to be removed? And to thank him. To thank him for what he's done for us. We're just going to take a few seconds. The band's going to play. And we're just going to have some one-on-one time with God and reflect. Can we do that? Don't feel awkward. Just take this moment and say, God, how does this apply to me? Where are we at? What do I do with this? Bible says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we eat this. want to point out that his body was broken for you and for me. His body was broken so that we may be made whole in every way. Jesus came to fix the things that are broken in our lives. If you're in this place today, this is what I'm going to ask. If there's something in your life that is broken, a relationship, a situation, Whatever it is where you say, Lord, I'm looking at this and this is broken and I need you to fix it. I'm going to ask you to have a little bit of courage and to stand this morning. If that's you today and there's something in your life that is broken, I'm going to ask you to have courage and stand. Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken so that we may be made whole. So grateful, God. God, I pray for these situations that are broken. 
There might be some people in this place that are saying, my whole life is broken. Lord, nothing is too big for you. These situations that we are lifting up to you, Lord, I know that you can take what seems to be beyond repair. Or maybe we need a miracle, whatever it is. Lord, you can fix it. We are grateful and thankful that your body was broken for us. We love you in Jesus' name. You can eat it. Please remain standing. In the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me before you drink. His blood was shed for our sins, for our healing. Healing in every way, shape, and form. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. His blood was shed for you and for me. If you need a healing in this place today, physically, spiritually, emotionally, will you stand this morning? God, we are thankful for the blood that you shed for us. Every drop. God, I am thankful that no sin is too great. Your blood covers it all. What you did for us on the cross at Calvary. God, we are so grateful. God, I pray for those in this room that just need a healing touch, physically, spiritually, emotionally. God, I pray that you would touch them and heal them. By your stripes, we are healed. God, we cry out for that healing. Lord, I pray for those in this room that just need a physical touch right now, whether it be something from a cold all the way to cancer, anything and everything in between, Lord, you know. You can do it, God. We pray for a healing, for your healing touch. God, I pray that you would do something in this service, in this moment, so that the next time that we go into the doctors and we are checked, they would say, you, you're healed, and I don't know how. So we can say, I do. Jesus healed me. We cry out for those in this room that need emotional healing, mental healing. None of it is too big for you. None of it is too complex for you. We cry out, God, for your healing in this place today. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us, for our salvation. Bridge the gap between where we are and where our Heavenly Father is. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Take and drink. If the rest of you could stand. We're going to open up the altars here in a minute. And our prayer team will be up front to pray with you. But if you're in this place today and you just say, 
I've never accepted Christ in my life, or I did, and I walked away from it, and I don't know why I did, and you want someone to pray with you, we will have an incredible team up here to pray with you. Maybe you're in this place, you just say, I've been toying with some things. I've been running from something. Whatever it may be, I thought I knew better. And you just say, I have to spend time with God. I can tell you from personal experience, something happens on the inside when we respond on the outside. There's a humbling. There's a surrender. I'm not saying God can't touch you at your seat. He can. But if you're in this place, you can just say, no, 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 I need to come to this altar. These altars are going to be open. We're going to have people to pray with you and pray for you. So I'm going to pray one last time. And then we're going to go back into a song. And during the song, if that's you this morning, these altars will be open for you. Jesus, I am grateful for who you are. I am grateful for everything that you have done, things that I'm aware of, things that I'm not aware of. God, I am thankful for your love. God, I am thankful for what you've done for us on Calvary. Jesus, I pray that you minister to every heart in this place. God, for the person in this place that is listening to my voice right now that is waffling. They know they need to come down here and get right with you, but they are afraid. Lord, I pray for a holy confidence. I pray for spiritual guts that when, when the time is right, that they will come down and they will commit who they are to you so that they will be made a new creation from this moment going forward. God, for those in this place that are toying with things, there is something in their life that they have been playing with, messing with, allowing to creep in the way that Samson did. Holy Spirit, I pray for conviction. I pray that you call it out. I pray that you put your finger on it in my life, in our lives, Jesus. We don't want anything between us and you. Jesus, we just pray that you would move in this place, move in our hearts, change us to the very core. In Jesus' name, amen.